we, uh, I want this morning, as we kind of really kick off this series, about what does it mean to become uh, Easter people in a Good Friday world? How do we raise life in a culture of death? There's a couple things I want to do. One, I want to set a rhythm for us. I want to set a rhythm for us. I would just humbly submit that our Sundays could be better than they are. That, the, that I would like set a tone and a rhythm and a discipline that you would do for the rest of your life on a Sunday. And you may intuitively kind of do this, you think just kind of by showing up to church, but I, I, wanna, I wanna kind of drill into this because the temptation for me with this series was to rush kind of right in to talking about the kind of mission aspects of this, right? Even if you're here, you're not a Christian or, or you're spiritual, just exploring what it means to, to maybe be a follower of Jesus, you look at that raising life in a culture of death, Right, I made the joke, it's sort of offsetting with people talk about, you know, I'm going to raise hell. Right? So what does it mean for us to raise life in a culture where there's so much death and brokenness around us? The, the immediate impulse for me is to go to mission. So how do we do this? What are the places of death that we, where we need to go and reach in and go, I want to be a person that speaks life over that situation. I want to be somebody who raises life up out of the ashes and that. I want to be, a, and you know, and we just kind of fill in the blank there. But it got me thinking that what we talk about often on our team nights and when we get sort of a, the, the folks that are partners together in this church, we come together, we talk a lot about the culture of our city and affecting it. How do we be people of life and love and generosity for our city? And if we're gonna do that, we obviously have to address the culture of our church. How are we as a community? How are we doing? How are we doing in, in, in cultivating a culture of grace, a culture of generosity, a culture of empowerment, a culture of equipping, a culture of sending? I mean, we could go down the list of things that we've identified in our church we want to identify. This is what we want to see bubble up from our church. But before that, and again, I know this is Captain Obvious, but we want to make sure that we have to make sure then the culture of our heart is healthy. All right? The culture of our heart, personally, we say this a lot. The, the stuff that's going on in your own heart, it affects all of us in some way, whether directly or indirectly. And so for us, and if you're new and visiting, um, don't feel like weird and pressured by the statement, but for us, church is way more than a come, consume, and leave experience. For those who are partnered and a part of this community, um, we have an understanding of church that's biblical. And I mean that in every like, strong sense of the word. Like biblical in the way that this isn't just come and experience the entertainment of spiritual goods and services and then turn and walk away. That is not in any way the way church is described in the New Testament. Church, we are supposed to be an outpost of heaven. We are called to be an outpost of love. We are to be people who are demonstrating and announcing the good news of what Jesus has done. And that demonstration looks like all sorts of beautiful and compelling things of the way of God. And so all of that, if we are going to be that group of people, what's happening in our own heart is essential. So when we talk about raising life in a culture of death, how are we doing internally with the whole life-raising bit? Are we aware? So this sermon is going to essentially boil down to, you have some dark places in your life. We all do. Jesus shines a light in there, can raise that thing to life. Okay? That's it. That's the sermon. That's the overview. So... I want to say that to you because I want to preemptively strike on you tapping out. Because some sermons uh, that I give are much more teaching oriented. Some I try to strike a really good balance between teaching and actually preaching, like exhorting you, like helping, helping all of us kind of climb out of whatever malaise I feel like we might be in or, or just speaking life over. And then sometimes I just like want to kind of basically just preach. 
And so I'm going to be leaning towards the heavy preaching end on this. I want us to really take seriously our regular rhythms of practicing resurrection. And to be Easter people in a Good Friday world, we need to be people of resurrection. So if you have your Bibles with me, um, would you turn with me to Luke 20? As you're turning, uh, there's a really great graphic I want to show you. Someone sent that to me the day after Easter. It's pretty brilliant, right? There's one graphic. It was too small to put on the screen, but it was like YOLO question mark. Nah. And it's just Jesus gone like that. Yeah, anyway. Luke 20. So Jesus has an encounter with these people called Sadducees. Sadducees are, are Jewish people. Jewish folks like the Pharisees, like the disciples, they believe in Yahweh. This fundamental difference is they didn't believe in the resurrection. Now again, this is pre-Jesus. Sometimes as Christians we think the resurrection only has to do with Jesus. Jesus, when he rises from the dead, is signifying what is the beginning of what the Jews have held tightly forever. Which is that at the end of time, at the end of this age, God will redeem everything. God will bring everything back together. So this idea of like we get left behind and we go to some heaven, it's like unbelievably heretical. It's just not accurate at all. In the scriptures, we see heaven coming down at the end of the scripture, at the end of the Bible to us. Heaven and earth, we pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We see a collision of heaven and earth. We see a new heavens and a new earth. And we're told that it's this world that is being renewed. God is making all things new. Heaven sometimes described as the reconciliation of all things, or it's called the restoration of all things. So if you reconcile and restore stuff, you're not sending people elsewhere. You're actually restoring and reconciling everything here. So the resurrection was directly tied to this. These Sadducees didn't believe that at the end everyone would rise again. That there would be some sort of mysterious way in which we would have these new bodies and we would be here on earth. And so these, these Sadducees, one way you can remember this is, you remember the song? Sadducees? They were just really sad, you see. <laughs> It's really good. It's really good. Pharisees, I don't want to be a Pharisee. They're not fair, you see. No one? I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're not Sadducee. What was the other one? I just want to be a sheep. That was it. I was trying to remember it last service. Ba, 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 ba. Jason, can you get up here and lead us in that? No, okay. Some of us have really amazing old Sunday school memories. Um, so. <laughs> The Sadducees, they just believe that that's it, life is over. There is nothing more. There is nothing more. Uh, there's a weariness and a darkness that's described in extra biblical texts about the Sadducees. There's a, this is it. We believe in God and then that's, a, that's all, it ends. You are the sum of your biological predisposition. Something else to just keep in mind as we don't jump into this passage as we're talking about, we want to set a rhythm for us on what we do on Sunday. Sunday gets its name from the god Apollo, literally the god of the sun. It's the, the day of the sun. And so the reason why, one of the reasons why the first church kind of puts resurrection on a Sunday, it's why it's the beginning of the week, it's why it's like the day that the church gathers, is this is the, like how many times has the sun risen in your life? Every morning is the correct answer. Rise, I know you thought it was a hypothetical question. 
It rises every morning. Every morning there is a rebirth. Every morning there is a resurrection. Every morning. Uh, Just to keep that in mind as we come into Luke 20 here, Jesus addressing the Sadducees. Some of them, some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. This is a normal thing, that people trying to stump Jesus, get him caught in some, you know, religious uh, details. Never happens today. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, so he's like, here's the scenario, Jesus. It's like a word problem. Now there were seven brothers. First one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, at this moment when God's going to put everything back together and everyone's going to rise again, whose life, whose wife, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? I love, the Sadducees don't even believe in this, but they're trying to trap him. So they're like, let me ask you this hypothetical question. The real question, right, is like, what is wrong with this woman? Right? Seven times, seven dead, okay. Anyone ever known a woman like that? We're gonna, just kidding. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. People here now, alive. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, circle and underline that phrase, age to come. So the Hebrew, olam haba, which we're gonna get back to. And in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. So he's saying the lights do not go out on those who have been joined, who have come into union with God, who have trusted what Jesus has done and are united with God, who have said, yes, I believe in what Christ has done for me and created this union. Those people, like he's saying, the lights won't go out. The marriage question is something for another sermon. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Three guys, not alive, but according to God, alive. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher, and no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus had a way. There's a lot going on here of why they would have just been shut down like that. But this, what we're learning here in this picture to you and me is one of resurrection, that God is the God of the living. If you've ever had questions about what happens when I die, about what the afterlife, or maybe it's like after whatever death you're going through, like, can I get through this? Andrew, you have no idea what I have been through in regards to X, Y, or Z. Can I actually get through that? And Jesus is saying, this God is the God of the living. That when you embrace God with your life, there is a knowledge that comes into you that says, I am alive. Not only do I not fear death, but there is something else happening in me that will go on forever. That I am not tied to my biology. That when God engages with me, there is something else that is happening. We're told in the Bible that everything God creates somehow lives on. And who you are doesn't need your body to exist. That there's some kind of new transformation We've talked a lot about the resurrection in our community, about what this looks like and the implications for who we are now and what we're to do with this world now. But there's this sense that even now, even right at, 
as a follower of Jesus, this olam haba, this life of the ages, this heaven begins now. Have you ever met Christians who are like, yeah, I'm just like, you know, wait it out, and then I'm going to heaven. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Like, there's something okay about longing for everything being put back together, obviously. Obviously. This is our great hope. But Jesus says that actually begins right now. It begins right now with an acknowledgement of what I've done, that we are raised with Christ and he is the first fruits of a new creation. That God is reconciling everything back to him and he's beginning with us. He has reconciled us. Have you ever met anybody, um, ever been, been, not ever met anybody, have you ever been to Narragansett Beach in like July? No one's been to Narragansett Beach in July. No, who's never been to Narragansett Beach? All right, not, all right, so a good chunk of you have. Okay, if you want to know, for the most part, what the human body is capable of, just walk that beach. Yeah, I mean, some of you walked in here, you're looking trim, you're looking good. Some of you, it's working, no, I was kidding. But you, you, you see at Narragansett Beach what the human body is capable of. Like, oh, I didn't realize there are abs underneath that, right? It's just, it's just amazing. And then when we look at some of, some of our brothers and sisters or folks who are a lot older, right, our body begins to decay, right? We need surgery to keep it going. We can barely stand. As their body fades, right, there's something that my dad used to always say as he was getting older. He'd say, youth is wasted on the young. You've probably heard this phrase before. Youth is wasted on the young. What he's saying is there's something about for him as he got older. It's like, not only am I wiser, am I more fresh, am I feel like I'm more awake, I have better sense. It's like I can't do the stuff that I used to be able to do when I was young and also ignorant and stupid and foolish. And Paul talks about this, like outwardly, he's got this issue going on. We don't really know what it is. Paul's one of the early Christians who set up a lot of churches. And he says, outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being made new day in and day out. Outwardly I'm falling apart, but inwardly something happens. There's, there's something about our biology and yet who we're becoming as followers of Jesus that will go on forever that's disconnected from our biology. It's not that God isn't going to redeem. It's not that the physical doesn't matter, but it's really important. And we kind of know this as followers of Jesus, some of us intuitively, is that even as I get older, even as we fall apart, we can become more alive to the things of God. We can be growing. I love that outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being made new day in and day out. I'm more fresh, more creative, more flexible. Not literally flexible. More open. There's a resurrection that occurs after this life and right now. That God is renewing all things and it begins now. Every time Jesus drops eternal life, go, I know that's the life of the ages and it begins now if I put my trust in him. And so, Jesus, his conversation with these Sadducees about God being the God of the living, all that we know about what Jesus, after his rising from the dead, is inaugurating this new way that people have been following, that a group of people like us have been walking in for centuries now. He says in John 11 earlier on, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. There's something about who Jesus is 
that will cause you to live and will cause you to be raised to life time and time again. Have you ever seen uh, a resurrection? Have you ever seen a reawakening or a return to life in someone's, in someone's history? Last, uh, well, the first like almost, almost 20 years of my life, I spent going to this camp. I started going in 1989. Um, give you a sense of how old I am. And uh, I think it was my first year. I was like seven years old. And uh, green neon shirt is when neon was still in. It's like just the last gasp of the 80s. And it was a Christian camp, so it was like, you know, five years behind. Um, and I remember almost every year that I was like awake enough to know what was happening in my surroundings. From like nine-year-old safe privileged kids from like good Christian homes. To like kids that would come in from some of the most at-risk neighborhoods in the Bronx who were sort of like bust up, like get these guys out of New York City and get them in a more healthy environment. All the way through, I was like a counselor there. I just loved this place so much. Up like my first year of college, I saw stories like my buddy Jimmy. A kid who had all the odds stacked against him. No father, mother who didn't care. We were all pretty sure that his mother didn't know where he was, that he was in like the woods in the Berkshires like for a week. And to see him walk in with massive, massive drug issues that midway through the week when a pastor got up and just talked about the good news of Jesus, that there's nothing that you could do that would keep you from the love of God. He comes to the front of the altar, not knowing, you know, like no, no like church etiquette, no like church tact. I loved it. He walks up and he just lays down on this front step and he put, I remember I was leading like music and I just see like, that looks like a bag of basil. Uh, it's not basil. And then a needle. And then a bag of something that looked like sugar. And then, oh, that's definitely a playboy. It was like, it was like most people's like central sins is laid out, drug addiction, sex addiction. Oh my gosh. And he just was like, he had, I don't know why he brought it to chapel. He had like a backpack. And he just emptied out his backpack of what was in it, what he had brought to camp. So it's been eight, nine years. I can't remember. Anyway, he's leading a college ministry in New York City right now. I mean, I, I, to see kids growing up in these legalistic places and being liberated and freed and walking with God now. I could tell so many different stories of watching resurrection and a reawakening take place. Of watching people have a vision of their life transformed into something meaningful. Because frankly, nihilism makes way more sense to me. Way more sense to me without Jesus. A reawakening and a return to life. You ever notice when you come to Jesus, you still have a lot of stuff to work out to? For those of you, if you're, again, if you're new to Jesus or you're new to this whole church thing, we really do believe that things can, can change. And, and sometimes it's on the drop of a dime, something fundamental changes. Um, so a, a buddy of mine, um, buddy of mine came in after the first service and was just at his end. Just at his end. And it was unbelievable in the course of a, five-minute conversation, 10-minute conversation, which happened like in between these two services, of being able to pray with him, 
of being able to get on the phone and figure out some major details that were about to rip some parts of his life apart. I can't wait to be able to tell his full story one day. I don't have permission to tell the whole thing yet. But it's incredible that for the last 2,000 years, up until about 30 minutes ago, watching God raise life up out of death. And, and, and even at that raising of life, there's still so many things you need to work out. The implications of rebirth. Because death has this way of, of keeping things in darkness. Paul talks about it. My old self keeps creeping up. Death usually starts out as secrets. And so my, my, one of my many questions this morning will be for you is, is there a part of your life that needs resurrection? Are there parts of your life that need life? Is there anyone here is there anyone here who needs to be reawakened? Is there anyone here who has spaces in their life that have just been totally uh, ignored, that have gone dormant, that have died? In this verse, God is declaring that he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And some of you are walking dead. Some of you are walking dead. You're just accepting the fact that something has died. Because sometimes that's easier Sometimes despondency, sometimes apathy, sometimes just, just owning the fact people are going to let you down. Like people are going to let you down. Like that, we just kind of live there. Okay, that's it. We kind of live in that place of, okay, this is never going to get better. To go back to like outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly being made new. Some of us as we get older and as we continue to grow in the way of Jesus and trust that much more that God will raise life and raise life and raise life, we become more and more alive and more and more young in the way of Jesus in all the good kinds of ways. But some of us actually follow that trajectory. Outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm following right on track. Outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm about the same as I've always been. Outwardly, I'm wasting away, and yes, inwardly as well. And it can be really, really, really easy to actually start to rest in carrying around a lifeless part of you. And as often as the sun rises, God is faithful to bring things back to life for those who trust in him. This is what our Sundays need to be about. I want to invite you to make Sunday a day where we fight for life where we fight for life. A day when you have the courage to say that this thing, whatever this thing is, is lifeless. When you have the courage to say, I can't carry this around any longer. When you have the courage to name the depression, to name the anger, to name the hopelessness, to name the death and say, I need to get this to Jesus. So how do we resurrect the walking dead? How do we bring things back from the life? I know we all carry something that needs to come back to life. Anyone not carrying anything that needs to come back to life? We'd like to just applaud you. Like, way to be. What are the things? I know, I, 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 I keep having these moments. I had it all during the first service where I'm listening to myself teach and I'm going, I would be the person sitting there going, okay, yes, there's probably some things I need to address. Okay, I know this. But like, let's make a rhythm out of Sunday. The day that we all come together and are reminded, right? We come together to, to remind ourselves that we're broken and that God has put us back together. We come to remind ourselves that we have a mission, 
of being people of life in the world. We come together to be reminded that there's nothing I can do to earn the love of God. We come to, reminder, to come to remind ourselves that our lives actually matter, that we're not just an accident. We come together to remind ourselves of the history that we are part of, of people who are followers of Jesus reclaiming and making things new, partnering with the God of the universe. We come together to worship and give glory to God, the author of all creation. We come together, and would we come together and be, take seriously a regular rhythm of saying, okay, I'm going to have the strength to bring this forward, to name this thing, to make a pattern out of bringing the dead things in my life to him. In John 11, in this passage where we say, I'm the resurrection and the life, there's a couple things, a couple great stories And I encourage you this week to take some time to read through it. John's all about miracles. John's all about healing. John's all about pointing out, here are all the amazing things that Jesus did so you'd know who he was. And in 11, there's two great stories. One, uh, Mary and Martha drag Jesus to their buddy Lazarus, who's died. Jesus weeps over the brokenness and death in the world and then raises Lazarus to life. There's another story where Jesus um, is speaking and healing people And some folks actually um, who are so overwhelmed uh, with how sick and broken their brother and friend is. And they lower him down through the roof. They lower him down through the roof so they can get him to Jesus. So there's two examples. One of people needed to get Jesus to their brokenness. And another was they needed to get their brokenness to Jesus. The living God. To be the God of the living. You have to want to be living. What we see over and over by those who are healed, Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? Do you believe? Do you trust? For some of us, I think we have this sort of armchair theology or this armchair belief where we sit back and because of our, either we rest on our intellect or sort of we rest on a kind of a warped view of of God being in control and we go, I'm just going to sit here and God will make himself known or he's not really God. Or we get lost and drowned in our brokenness and in our death. And what we see over and over is people with a passion to bring Jesus to their junk or to bring their junk to Jesus. Because Jesus can't do anything if you're closed off and not willing to acknowledge it yourself. We all have junk and we're all carrying stuff. It requires that we want life that badly. Because it gets comfortable to carry deadness. It gets comfortable to give up on people. It gets comfortable to be apathetic. A buddy of mine was telling a story recently. Um... And he used to be a, uh, a paramedic. And so he comes to the scene and uh, he's, he's joking. Uh, he usually gets called to these really crazy accidents late at night. He's on these tough shifts. And, and so there's this guy who um, was just absolutely drunk out of his mind. And he had broken his arm and was bleeding pretty profusely from this accident. So he's out on the corner. And so there's something that he has to do as a paramedic. He has to ask, do you want me to treat you? He has to ask that question because you can refuse treatment. And so he, he comes up to him and he goes, okay, okay, like, do, do you want me to treat you? And the guy just like yells him off. No, get away from me. I'm fine. And so uh, my buddy leans in and he's like, look, we, we need to treat you. And as he's screaming, don't touch me, um, he, he reminds him of, of this law, which is a really great law. Of, it's called implied consent. And the implied consent is if you, this will make you really rest easy tonight if you didn't know this. If you're unconscious, 
The paramedic will not ask you if you'd like to be helped. They will just assume, because you're unconscious, that you would like help. Is that nice? They had to have just actually write a law into being that that's like a thing. Implied consent. So he goes, look, buddy, buddy, you're going to pass out in about 45 seconds. So I can like pretend to not help you right now, wait till you pass out, and then help you, and then you'll wake up remembering this conversation and remembering me. Or I can actually just help you right now. I can just actually get to it. Some of us are like this. It's like, Jesus, don't touch me. Like, don't touch me. I don't want, we don't want to let somebody in. There's a reason why all these commands are like, confess your sins to one another. Get your stuff out there. It's not like for fun. It's not for shaming. It's not to make you feel bad or let other people know about your stuff. It's like, do you actually want to be healed? Because this is the mechanism. Get it out there. Get it in the light. Get help. Some of you, it's like the old song, like Jesus touched me. (laughs) Instead, it's, Just don't, don't go near me. We have to have the courage to call what is lifeless, lifeless. We have to have the courage to address the things that are dead in our hearts. I don't want any of us to have to pass out for us to have a resurrection. We have to drag our stuff to Jesus and allow Jesus to come into our stuff. And we have to fight for life for the people in our life. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we've been entrusted with a message of resurrection. So we need to be people of who else needs this? I love the story of the friends like lowering their buddy. Like people stumble into the kingdom in all sorts of ways. You don't see like the prayer, like Jesus, I invite you into my blood pumping muscle. Let me stand up and raise my hand when the piano starts going after the sermon. Like actually you don't get any of those. It's like really crazy stuff. Like, Jesus says it's the belief of your friends that caused you to be saved. Fit that one into your systematic theology. Right, there's, there's all these pictures of, like, people just wanting life. We talked about this at Easter, like, beholding the beauty of God. And some of us, we, we don't want to. We're actually really comfortable living with the death, dead stuff because we feel good uh, about our kind of church-going activities. Sunday needs to be a day. A day where we fight for life. Where before we get into a big conversation about raising life in a culture of death, is life being raised in your own heart? Are you smoking what you're selling? So how does this happen? I want to pivot for a moment and talk a minute about what Jesus did to empower this to happen. Jesus is the resurrection and the life and Jesus leaves the disciples. He dies, he raises, is risen from the, from the dead, and he ascends, saying, I am now the king. And it's through my way, through the washing of feet, through the loving of enemies, through the humble service of the simple and faithful that my kingdom will go forward. Not through anything else. And so in that declaration, he says this, I'm gonna send to you a helper, an advocate, that's going to remind you of who I am. It's going to impart my life to you. It's going to remind you of the things that that I have taught you. It's It's the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit, if you've grown up in church, is actually not about goosebumps and freaking out and talking in crazy tongues. Though all those things can happen, they can be beautiful. Not in any way close to the primary reason for the Holy Spirit. 
Let's read it in John 14. And if you've never been in a church, this, this passage will cause such either disbelief or excitement in your heart. Before long, this is Jesus talking, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. I'm not going to be here, but those who trust in me will actually see me. That's an interesting paradigm. Because I live, you also will live. Something about being joined to Jesus causes life in us that goes beyond just our physical body. Because we all know we die. Jesus has already addressed this. That the wages of sin was still death and a broken creation. God's going to finish the job later. But right now we are called to be agents of his kingdom through the time that we have. And in that time, we live and that life of heaven actually begins in our hearts now. Not later, it begins now. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments, and in the Jewish sense, commandments were the words of life, and keeps them is the one who loves me. If you walk the way of life, that's what's going to show me that you actually love me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Judas asked, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Great question. I always ask this question. Why did Jesus not show up like nowadays with YouTube, like do a crazy miracle, everyone would see it? Right? You ever wonder that question? Like why was that the culmination of the ages? Why did God send Jesus then? He could have waited. Yeah, chew on that one for a while. It's a different sermon. These words you hear, not my own. He said, they belong to the Father who sent me. He said, all of this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, God the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is imparting his life. Everything about this relationship that I have with God, I'm sending the Spirit to be with you and to remind you of everything I've taught you and what this looks like, what the life of God looks like. A couple things that we learn from Jesus, just off the top, even just from this passage. What does Jesus have that we get because of his Spirit? So Jesus has this generous freedom with God. There's this resting, there's this giving and receiving I am in him and he is me, all this like kind of confusing biblical language is all about union. There's a connectedness, an interconnectedness of God and Jesus. Verse 21, there's the love of the Father. Jesus' life is surely saturated with the love of God. We read in Matthew 5, like there's just all this, this love and blessing. He knows this. Uh, the, aren't the birds of the year that much more valuable? He teaches them about how God cares for them. His life is so saturated, such contentment. He's not wondering if God loves someone else more. He does not have any sense of lack, no worry about future events. I could go on and on. There's no pride. There's this, I know who I am. I know my relationship. I know the interconnectedness. Jesus had an inner life thoroughly saturated with the love of God. And he says here that the, the reason for the Holy Spirit is that these things, all the things that Jesus had been teaching them, they now will be reminded, that you will be reminded of them, that he will come along and show you these things. Jesus is going to leave them. Jesus has been with them three years, 
And so if any of you have ever tried to teach someone how to do something and then you do it for them, they're never going to learn, right? You ever had a teacher who tried to teach you something, but then actually when it came time for you to do it, they actually still did it? Everything, everything that Jesus has done and and said and embodied, he has actually executed and showed them. And so if you want to fully empower people to do what you do, at some point your presence, the very fact that you're there is going to prevent empowerment. Jesus says, you'll do even greater things than than you've seen me do. For them to really do this, Jesus is going to have to leave. And so I humbly submit to you that the reason we see Jesus living or leaving is that in giving his spirit, he recognizes that presence can prevent empowerment. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you everything I've taught these first disciples. And so a bunch of people sitting in a room 2,000 years from now in downtown Providence, the same spirit is going to continue to guide my church is continue to be able to come alongside, paraclete, that's all it means, is to come alongside and to call out, to advocate, to come alongside and to call out the things of God. It'd be like running a marathon and then you get to mile 20 when you're about to give up and like your favorite person in the world who knows all the right things to say to you comes along and reminds you of your training and you got this and it's only a few more miles, hands you the cup of water and cheers you on who's been going throughout the race, just at every stop, at every juncture, pushing you forward, reminding you that you can do this. This is a a, a glimpse of this word paraclete, this advocate, to call and speak alongside, to remind, to push. Jesus is giving his followers his relationship with God, his connection with God, this life, this resurrection. He's giving them new eyes to see what God is up to in the world and he's empowering to go, them to go out and to be this force in the world. Paul, this writer who started all these early churches talks about being filled with this spirit. That we are to be filled with the spirit of God. Filled with this reminding presence of what Jesus has taught us. Of this, this filled with the spirit that continues to raise life from the death that exists inside of each one of us. That just as we have, it says in Romans, have died to Christ, we arise with him. And it is by the power of the spirit that God has sent us. If all this sounds like religious like garbage or just confusion, or something really far-fetched, it's okay. It sounds that way. I have no clever way to try to communicate this other than that there have been a group of people for 2,000 years who have believed that the Spirit of God is with them, that the Spirit of God has been reminding people and calling out life, has been showing people the way of Jesus and what Jesus is up to in the world, and they continue to be a faithful presence to the way of love and following the Spirit. In fact, when the church has been at its most ugly, it has looked nothing like the clearly stated fruits of the Spirit. We always know, right? When the church is most radical is when it's most faithful and most loving. When the churches get violent, when Christianity has gotten violent and broken and awful, it's when it's literally deviated from from its most radical form. And so we as followers of Jesus 
to raise life in a culture of death need to continue to go back to the well and say, am I being filled with the Spirit? One writer says this, we cannot be consistently led or empowered by the life-giving Holy Spirit if we are not continually conscious of our need to be refilled. Let us linger when he lingers and let us jump when he jumps. This writer is reminding us to, to, to do what Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, is to be awake and aware, to be disciplined, to go, God, I need this. I need you to fill me. I need to be reminded. I don't need to be filled with the Spirit for some weird spiritual experience. I need to be filled with the Spirit that I might be a faithful, loving, unanxious presence. That I might be someone who is aware and attentive to the work that God is doing in the world. That I may be called into life. Jesus wants his followers to have the same life he has with God. Being filled with the Spirit is not me having more quantity of spirit, but the spirit of God having more of me. But the spirit of God having more of me. Frederick Buechner says this. This is a great way to sort of sum this up. The common view is that life itself, whatever life is, does not care one way or another any more than the ocean cares whether we swim in it or drown in it. In honesty, one has to admit that a great deal of evidence supports this kind of, this point of view. But rightly or wrongly, the Christian faith flatly contradicts it. To say that God is spirit is to say that life does care. That the life-giving power that life itself comes from, God, is not indifferent as to whether we sink or swim. Life wants us to swim. Jesus wants us to swim. We need to be people who are fighting for life. I want to be alive. When God says, I'm the God of the living, I want to be one of the living. And so this space on a Sunday morning needs to be a place where we fight for life. Where we lean in and acknowledge the things that are broken and we say, Spirit, fill me. I need life here. This thing needs to be resurrected. There are a lot of people around you in this building right now, I'm like looking around, <laughs> who have incredible stories themselves or have seen incredible stories of resurrection. Stories of everything turning around. Or my favorite ones, the stories where everybody had everything they could possibly want. And God actually raised them to life in a way not out of like a deep brokenness, but out of a deep apathy. Where God took, I'm looking at one person in particular, where God took one person who had everything. I can't wait for you to hear Justin's story. It's the same as this. It's like, on top of the world. Uh, on top of the most like unfulfilled, disconnected, going nowhere life world. And God continuing to knock at this person's door and them saying, all right, all right, I need, I need this to be brought to life. I need to trust, not just that there's something more out there, but life isn't indifferent. 
that God cares. God sent Jesus to show us what he looks like and then sent his spirit to come alongside us and allow us to be, continue to be renewed. That even as we are wasting away and dying, because we're all going to die. Sorry to break that to you. God is making all things new. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to bring us through a little exercise as we close here. If you're comfortable, um, I want to invite you to close your eyes. The scriptures talk uh, tons and tons of times about meditating on the scriptures, meditating on the word, allowing the words of God to just kind of wash over us. And so I want to practice that for a moment. Would you breathe in a deep breath and breathe out? You breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in life and breathe out death. And to carry the visuals, whatever it creates as I begin to read this, this text try to block out the mental noise. The music's just gonna come up just to block out the creaks and the, any distracting whatever around you. John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You are alive. So imagine for a moment the things that are alive in your life. What are the things that are healthy and beautiful and good and true out of the way of Jesus? Maybe a relationship, something that's been overcome, something that's just great, career. What's alive? And just draw a circle around that. Highlight that. Underline it. What's alive? What are the things that are dead? Things that are covered in shadow. You visualize that, name it, circle it, write it down, picture it. What is the thing that is dead or dying? Picture it actually right now in your head. As foolish and silly as this sounds, take the light that Jesus offers, all of this truth that we spoke of, that Jesus is the life and the resurrection, that Jesus is the way to eternal life, both life after we die and life now. And take the light that, this, that Jesus offers and invite Jesus into those dark places. Invite the living God in. The scriptures tell us to invite God in. Get out of the way. There's a reason why pride is such a central sin in the scriptures. Because it puts us in the place of God. It says, I don't need you. It's the bleeding man with the broken arm. It's the get away from me. I'm fine. And all Jesus invites us to is surrender. A broken and contrite heart. Calls us to repentance. 
turn back. Invite him into a new place. And so see these words of Jesus filling the shadows. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That you are alive. If you've never said yes to Jesus, and there's something in your heart just stirring, like I, I want to, I want to, I want to. I want to receive this. I want this. I want to trust all of this and make this moment the moment where you say, okay, I'm going to begin to trust. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to let God in. Like right now, there's no reason to delay. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't need to stop having doubts. You don't need to stop having questions. But begin now. For those of us who've identified things they just haven't wanted to identify or look at in a long time, Drag that stuff to Jesus. Drop it through the roof. It is not ever God who is distant. It is we who are distant. And so may we be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. We cannot be consistently led or empowered by the Holy Spirit if we are not aware of our need to be refilled with him or else Paul wouldn't have said be filled with the Holy Spirit let us linger when he lingers and let us jump when he jumps Lord thank you that you give us a new life, a new heart a new vision, new freedom that will separate us from the ways and influences of death so that we will no longer be enslaved to fear we will no longer be enslaved to greed. Think of the Holy Spirit. If it's teaching us the things, Lord, that you've commanded us, I think of just the big thing that you command us to do in the Bible is to not have fear, to live with absolutely no fear. And so every time religion or church has tried to use fear to drum up belief, Lord, we just rebuke it. We take hold of the fact that there is no fear. We are your children because you are welcoming us into life and life everlasting right here and now. And so in the middle of whatever situation feels too hopeless, in the midst of that thing that was really small and just an annoying thing that turned into an addiction and is now full blown in your life, to the malaise or despondency where you live Monday through Saturday as if there is no God. Where we are greedy, selfish, whatever the thing, the places of death in our life. I thank you that you declare actually there is life to be had. You, Lord, are in the business of raising life in the culture of our dead hearts. our eyes that we might see you, in our ears that we might hear you, in our hearts that we might know you more. And everyone said, Amen.